It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome Sandy, thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in DC is Fox News contributor, Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician, I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor, Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. December of 2021, just getting ready for Christmas. That was the congregation of Christ Church Moscow, uh, Idaho. Uh, they do this every year. They go into their city in the middle of it and they sing, uh, they sing Christmas songs. You know what's refreshing about that to me too? Just listen to the parts. How I miss that. How I miss that. I'm really okay. This is my prejudice, but uh, is in spite of what you think, I love traditional. Uh, hymns and carols, and I love them sung in all four parts, and I miss that. I miss, you know, I'm not crazy about singing unison on everything with chords being changed and, you know, things that people can't even sing because they're done by soloists. I'm anyway, but I, so I love this, and the whole, you know, skill of singing in soprano, alto, tenor, and bass is being lost on the American public, another dumbing down we're experiencing, but that's not the point I want to make with this story. This uh, Christchurch, I want to be like Christchurch when I grow up, because what they did was they were singing. Uh, that's actually the second second act of what happened when they were out caroling. Uh, they first started singing, as they usually do. I don't know the setting. I just saw a clip of it. But uh, by Moscow Hotel, they sing in the streets there. And uh, as they started to sing, well, some noise began. I'll let you hear it. This is the next clip. heard was the voice of Pastor Doug Wilson because while they were trying to sing, uh, disgruntled people in the Moscow Hotel uh, put noise machines outside their windows, and some said it topped 90 decibels. It was impossible for They just kept singing anyway, and they wished them Merry Christmas. And of course, the uh, uh, the anti-carolers came out and did obscene gestures and, you know, so, but, but the, uh, the point is, 
the Christchurch has a mission. This is part of what they do, and they're very good-natured about it. They just kept singing. But, I mean, not silly, not goofy, but just, hey, Merry Christmas to you. You know, you don't like it, but... And so then they moved to the fountain, and they sang. Uh, it was a... It's in... The story's in the blaze, and the actually the carol singing is much longer than what we were able to play for you. But it's just a great way to witness to people during this season is to sing these carols and just, I don't know, I miss that, don't you? Miss it. All right, so a lot of people are suffering terribly over the um, the states that were hit by the tornadoes over the weekend. CNN had a bit of a report on it. Let's listen to that first, clip 12. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me this Saturday. I'm Frederica Okay. Well, that was quicker than it should have been. She's talking about, the, I don't know what happened, but the tornadoes struck several different states. There were 30 tornadoes, uh, six states actually, and at least 80. Now, I read this morning, I think it's 100 dead and hundreds of miles of territory obliterated. I'm sure that you've seen it on television. Many of you have probably experienced this that are listening to the show. And I just want to bring to your uh, attention that the Billy Graham Rapid Response Team chaplains are out there responding right now in Kentucky and Arkansas and uh, what they do is they go out and they offer spiritual care and comfort. And so uh, Franklin Graham is uh, asking for help. Uh, SamaritansPurse.org is a good place to go to offer your help. I know they uh, they really do. Um, I have some friends that are involved in the rapid response team. They're chaplains. If you think you have uh, an interest in doing that, that's something that they need more of, but also just people to be out there sharing and helping at SamaritansPurse.org. So... That's, uh, that's the update on the tornadoes. And may God bless each and every one of you who are suffering through that. You know, it's just amazing. We can sit, you know, hundreds, thousands of miles away and just we don't feel the impact of that. We only read and see it. Uh, but our hearts do go out to you. You know, everyone, everyone has their burdens, don't they, at various times of life. So we have to lift each other up. Uh, I always think of, you know, the parting the Red Sea when uh, Moses was trying to hold his hands up and they got tired. And so Aaron came and helped and others helped hold his hands up so that the, the sea would part. But the point was that they, they knew he needed help. He was tired. And that's the part that the body of Christ plays. When some are going through trouble, then we come to their aid. And when we're going through trouble, they come to our aid. It's, a, it's just the way God has designed things. And that's the way it should work. And it does work when people do that. Well, there's an interesting thing that happened over the weekend to me. You know, I, was, I worked for Fox for several years and it's interesting to see what's the changes. <laughs> My, have there been changes? And so one big change was announced over the weekend. Uh, Chris Wallace, and in fact, let's listen to his statement right now. Finally, a personal note. After 18 years, this is my final Fox News Sunday. It is the last time, and I say this with real sadness, we will meet like this. 18 years ago, the bosses here at Fox promised me they would never interfere with a guest I booked or a question I asked, and they kept that promise. I have been free to report to the best of my ability, to cover the stories I think are important, to hold our country's leaders to account. It's been a great ride. We've covered five presidential elections, interviewed every president since George H.W. Bush, traveled the world sitting down with France's Emmanuel Macron and Russia's Vladimir Putin. And I've gotten to spend Sunday mornings with you. It may sound corny, but I feel we've built a community here. There's a lot you can do on Sunday mornings. The fact you've chosen to spend this hour with us is something I cherish. 
But after 18 years, I have decided to leave Fox. I want to try something new to go beyond politics to all the things I'm interested in. I'm ready for a new adventure, and I hope you'll check it out. And so, for the last time, dear friends, that's it for today. Have a great week, and I hope you'll keep watching Fox News Sunday. All right, so so where's Chris Wallace going? Where is he going? I wonder what Chris Wallace is going to do. Is he joining, I don't know, the Tea Party? Is he going to go, you know, defend the J6 prisoners? Is he going to run for office as a conservative Republican? I don't know. No, no, he's going to CNN. He is going to CNN. In fact, he says, um, I am thrilled to join CNN. After decades in broadcasting and cable news, I'm excited to explore the world of streaming. And on and on it goes. You know, this is, I'm just telling you, this is what's going to happen. You will really see how far to the left Chris Wallace is. If going to CNN doesn't say something to you already, this is, remember when Allison um, uh, Camerata moved to CNN? She was delightful on Fox um, I don't know if she was just pretending to be a conservative, but when she went to CNN, she became a no-holds-bar leftist. And so Chris will not be constrained, and this will be very interesting. Now, he says he can't wait to go work for Jeff Zuckerberg. He talks about that. I'm honored and—oh, Zucker, sorry. I'm honored and delighted to join Jeff Zucker and his great team. His great team. What an odd thing to say right now. Bottom line, Chris Wallace is going to CNN. I think that's uh, really interesting, and we'll be uh, interested to see what he looks like and acts like when he goes over there. All right, so there's news at the border. Uh, the Border Patrol is now releasing single adult migrants into Texas and, uh, you know, farming them out across the country. As a matter of fact, in Arizona, the uh, Yuma, Arizona, the mayor of Arizona has nearly 100,000 residents. They've declared a state of emergency because of the soaring numbers of illegal immigrants flooding in from Mexico. And that brings me to an announcement by Ron DeSantis on Friday. He's proposing $8 million in budget to relocate illegal immigrants to Delaware and Martha's Vineyard. This is, of course, the governor of Florida, and he's saying, we're not having this. Uh, We're going to take the people that come in here illegally that the federal government is not giving us any warning about, and uh, we're going to send them elsewhere. And we're proposing an $8 million million in our budget to actually do that. So um, there are ways to fight back. Maybe your governor might want to look at that, too. And, of course, the point of taking them to Martha's Vineyard is that's where uh, the Obamas have uh, their residence, and that's where people are. You know, it's the Tony elites up there that are very liberal and, of course, Delaware is the home of Joe Biden, and that's why he mentioned sending them uh, these illegal immigrants to, buy, to uh, Delaware. And it would that's just justice, is it not? Makes a lot of sense to me. All right, so we hope we don't lose connection again because I have a lot more things to tell you. So uh, stay tuned. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
Christians in China, they're crying out for the word. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International. Let me tell you about Hayo. He was an interrogator with the police department outside of Beijing, China. His job was to come down hard on pastors, jail them, beat them, humiliate them. But I can tell you, God had a different plan. He would go to the doorstep of one of the men that he had beaten, a man by the name of Katsu, and he would ask him, how are you at such peace when we were beating you severely? And so this man, Katsu, would open his door, open his Mandarin Bible, and lead this bitter atheist to faith in Christ. And would you know it, together, they've seen literally thousands and thousands come to Christ in that part of China. But in their house church movement of quite a few churches, there's only about one or two Bibles. Hey, listen, we want to be able to bless these Christians at Christmas so they can read for themselves the Christmas story. Would you do that at only $5 a Bible? You can do that by calling 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D. That's 800-YES-WORD, or you can give at sendbiblesnow.org, sendbiblesnow.org. Giving a Bible to somebody is a greatest gift you can give somebody in life. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Rahul Gupta, Director of National Drug Control Policy. As our nation's drug czar, he evaluates, coordinates, and oversees anti-drug efforts in our country. Psalm 138.7 reminds us of the protection the Lord provides us. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Rahul Gupta as he leads the fight against drug abuse in our country. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. With the generous support of listeners like you, our radio ministry is in our fourth year on the air. Keep the power of prayer going and become a regular sustaining member. Details at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes. Stand by for news and commentary next. Are you looking for a university that provides a quality Christian education with excellent academic and athletic programs? Well, I want to invite you to visit Liberty University, where they offer multiple visiting opportunities to fit your schedule. Plan a visit to their Central Virginia campus and stay for an afternoon, a day, or an entire weekend. You can also take a virtual tour from the comfort of your own home. Plan your visit today by texting Go Visit to the number 49596. Again, that's Go Visit to the number 49596. Disgraced actor Jesse Smollett was found guilty of faking a hate crime the other day, telling police two white guys wearing MAGA hats punched him in the face, poured some sort of chemical substance on his body, and wrapped a noose around his neck. Turned out it was all staged. But he garnered massive support from the media and Democrats who believed his unbelievable story. President Biden condemned homophobia and racism. Nancy Pelosi called it an affront to our humanity. Vice President Kamala Harris called it a modern-day lynching and demanded the country confront hate. They were so quick to believe the mainstream media's narrative that Trump supporters are racist monsters. The question now is whether Biden and Harris and Pelosi will retract their statements. Will they apologize to the American people for being bamboozled? And will they demand Mr. Smollett face federal charges for staging an anti-gay, anti-black hate crime against himself. I'm Todd Starnes. Merry Christmas from American Family Radio and Sandy Rios in the Morning. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the Morning on Facebook or email Sandy at sandy at AFR.net. That's sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the Morning on American Family Radio. Exalted, 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 exalted
shall be well, I mean, yeah, there's some pretty scary stories. I mean, uh, uh, just have to go north of Austria, which is obviously Germany. And there are three stories, I think, that tell a really good story. Uh, the first one was reported in Die Welt, which is the equivalent of uh, The Guardian uh, in Germany. And it's essentially about the ritual humiliation of children who are asked to go to the front of the class and state their vaccination status daily. Those who are vaccinated are applauded. Those who are not have to uh, explain why they're not. So th that's the one story I think that really kind of uh, should raise an alarm bell for people who are for the mandate. Uh, the other one is the discussion of wristbands for people to go shopping. And those people who don't have the wristbands won't be able to go shopping uh, in, across a multitude of stores. Uh, the third one, which I think is possibly more reminiscent of 1930s Germany, is, uh, was an attack on coffee shops who were giving out coffees for free for, um, for people who were either vaxxed or unvaxxed. And that was in Berlin and it was reported, uh, in the Tagesspiegel. And in fact, the, the, uh, the campaign against that, uh, the, these various coffee shops was launched by the Tagesspiegel itself. Right. That's an interesting report. And, you know, Germany's close to my heart because I live there, but, um, many of you have ties there. I'm sure ties in Europe and, What's happening in Europe, of course, affects all of us. The world is getting much smaller. And what we see happening uh, in Europe, in Australia, and all these other countries, it's like we feel the hot breath of uh, despotism, of uh, Nazism, of fascism. It's amazing to me. But pr this is the point I want to make. Do not think that people there are being silent about this. It's just that you're, I don't think uh, that the news is reporting this. In my inbox in the last, over this weekend, I had at least half a dozen uh, clips of uh, major cities around the world where peop thousands and thousands of people are in the streets protesting what's happening. This first one, I'm pretty sure, is in Berlin. I'm sorry to say I, um, I got a little confused with these numbers, but I think this is Berlin. Let's listen. They're in the streets marching. Let's listen. Uh, that's obviously Paris. So I got that wrong. That's Paris, but that's all right. Liberté, give us freedom. We want freedom. Hundreds of hundreds, thousands of people uh, marching in the streets in Paris. And then, of course, we can go to Vienna. Vienna, Austria, of course, is very close to Germany. Remember that uh, Hitler himself was from Austria. He was Austrian. So Vienna, you know, was overtaken by the Nazis. Uh, they, how could they forget? How could they forget? And they have not forgotten. This is what it sounded like in Vienna over the weekend, clip five. So that's uh, that's Vienna, uh, Vienna, Austria, and I think you know he's saying we'll never forget, forget, and we'll not forget. Uh, they know what happened, and they're not going to give up. I mean, it's just amazing to see this happening to me. It's amazing. 
And you need to know about this because you might have this feeling that the, everyone's just rolling over and playing dead on this, and that's not true. So that was Vienna, um, Peru. I have a whole thing. I didn't even send it to Devin, but it's a, a whole anti-mandate protest in Peru that happened over the weekend. And then Bregenz, Austria, another place in Austria, 20,000 protesters marching uh, up, the, up and down the streets. And that's a smaller community protesting. And then Queensland, Australia, another uh, another thousands of people marching. And then there's one in, I believe this is in Sydney, and I want you to hear what this was. Sydney, Australia, you know, Australia, they're just, it's, they've gone crazy. They're sending people to camps. Uh, they can't, they can't even function. They're uh, being, it, they cannot even function in society unless they have the vaccination. And the leaders are very proud of it. In New Zealand, you know, I've played clips for you of their leaders who are just boasting about how people can't have a life if they don't have a vaccine. But of course, then there's another vaccine and another vaccine and a, a booster and a uh, uh, we're assured that it's going to go on and on. The uh, the health minister of uh, New Zealand said that just last week, and Anthony Fauci is saying kind of the same thing here. You know, it's just uh, Americans are going to have to get used to it. It's just going to be, you know, a steady stream of these vaccines. But this is what it sounded like in Sydney, the last clip, clip 16. The one thing I wonder is, you know, why we're not out on the streets marching. I think maybe we're not experiencing, you know, the uh, as, in spite of what we say, we're not experiencing the draconian measures that they're taking. I think New York is, you know, they're just cracking down again. Uh, New York, uh, California, and that's why Californians and New Yorkers are fleeing, and they're fleeing to other states. Many of you are seeing that in your own state. The problem is that New Yorkers are bringing... Uh, they don't understand, many of them, that the reason they are in the condition they're in is because of the, the policies, the kinds of people they elected to office who have these horrible policies. And so they bring, they haven't changed their minds. They just personally want to be free. Uh, so it's, a, it's going to have an effect on the entire country. But speaking internationally, uh, there is a, an organization that uh, many of us have joined hands with. I have. It's called the Unity Project. Uh, and they are having global COVID summits. They had one yesterday that I uh, took part in. And there are doctors, well, let's just say there's 16,000 doctors and medical scientists around the world who have signed this uh, publicly declaring that healthy children, for one, should not get vaccinated for COVID. Let me recommend to you their website, global, globalcovidsummit.org. And the reason I'm giving you that website, not just because of what's happening around the world, but also on that website, there are really great tools. Uh, some of the greatest minds, names like Peter McCullough and um, Dr. Robert Malone and others, uh, are all part of this also. Uh, and they're working together uh, also with uh, people who are not conservative at all, but are just feeling like this is just wrong. This is becoming oppressive. It's over the line. So people are speaking up, and the Unity Project is uh, becoming very effective. I want to give you a, an idea of the kinds of things that they're talking about right now. The focus is on stopping pediatric mandates, stopping pediatric mandates. We open this segment with the, what's happening in Germany where they're shaming children. What's the matter with the Germans? It hasn't been that long since they were, they were occupied by the Nazis where the Nazis destroyed their country. It's interesting to me that the Germans have gone 
way over the line. I never understood why Angela Merkel allowed armies, really, of Muslim men to march into their uh, these towns, and they, they were like mass rapes of women. It was it's been horrendous during the you know the uh, the Arab Spring, shall we say, under Barack Obama. Uh, but Angela Merkel was not about to stop any of that Muslim migration, which happened to be mostly um, fighting th- fighting eligible young men. And it has really put um, Germany and Austria in great danger. But when I got dig, dug down to find out why in the world she would not protect her own people, it all went back to uh, the Nazi thought. There, this, this knee-jerk reaction to Nazism, where we welcome all people. I don't, it's sort of twisted. And so they were sure to allow all people and to show that the Nazis were not, you know, like Aryans anymore. Uh, so they would allow people of all kinds to come in. And so she accomplished that. They did do that. But now on this, can they not remember? Can they not remember what it was like to have a special police force knocking on people's doors, dragging them out? Can they not remember what it was like to put, you know, gold stars on people's arms who were Jewish? Can they not remember that? They evidently cannot. And so Germany is becoming one of the worst places in Europe right now uh, to, uh, in the way they're handling COVID. All right, so that brings me to this um, international effort at the Unity Project, the Global COVID Summit. Dr. Peter McCullough, who's well-known to many of you, he's an internist, epidemiologist, and a top cardiologist. He has really been become one of the leaders in the response to this uh, COVID-19 so-called pandemic. And he spoke particularly to the issue of the vaccine's effect on the heart. And so I wanted you to hear the statement that he made, and then I have a few more things to add to this. This is Dr. Peter McCullough. Now, the myocarditis that occurs with the natural infection is usually those sick enough to be in the ICU, and it's a troponin elevation only. It's very different than the myocarditis that we're seeing with the vaccines, which we'll get to. Uh, The myocarditis in COVID-19 is mild, it's inconsequential, and it's largely a troponin elevation. I don't want anybody to think that the myocarditis of the natural infection is anything like what we're seeing with the vaccines. Exactly. The vaccine produces the inflammatory type process is on the heart. And the vaccine is directly there. Now there's preclinical studies suggesting the lipid nanoparticles actually go right into the heart. The heart expresses the spike protein. The body attacks the heart. There are dramatic EKG changes. The troponin, the blood test for heart injury with the vaccine myocarditis is is 10 to 100 folds higher than the troponin we see with the natural infection. It's a totally different syndrome about when the kids get myocarditis after the vaccine, 90% have to be hospitalized. They have dramatic EKG changes, chest pain, early heart failure. They need echocardiograms. If the ejection fraction is low, they need medications to prevent heart failure. So vaccine-induced myocarditis is a big deal. And in children, it's way more serious and more prominent than a post-COVID myocarditis. Right. The reason he's responding to this is because all oh, the CDC and others have said, oh, well, you know what, you get uh, myocarditis, uh, you know, from COVID, and that's terrible, too. So it's, you know, it's worth the risk of giving the vaccine. And Dr. McCullough saying, no, 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 uh, the, the COVID that you, the myocarditis you get from the vaccine is much worse. And he gives the stat, I'll, I'll give it to you again. Uh, he says that 90% of kids who get myocarditis after the vaccine have to be hospitalized. They have dramatic EKG changes, chest pain, heart failure, and they need an echocardiogram. They need medication to prevent heart failure. Last night, Dr. Robert Malone um, and this uh, Global COVID Summit did uh, um, 
I don't know what you call it. We anyway, they they did a thing online that uh, that many of us joined in hundreds actually. And he made some points that I wanted to share with you. He said, first of all, hearts do not heal; they scar. For those of you who have heart problems, you know this, but people generally they wonder, well, if a child gets myocarditis, can't they recover? Uh, the answer is that they can never be whole again. They will sear, uh, scar. And he said, you know, you, you that means that they are at great risk for uh, dangerous incidences with their heart as they grow up uh, because the heart has been uh, damaged. And he said, when you inject kids, you are putting their hearts at risk, and he cited a study out of Hong Kong, which he said is the most thorough study done so far about myocarditis in young people. And in that study, they studied just the it was boys, boys for the most part, uh, just the boys who were hospitalized after taking the vaccine with myocarditis. And they said that one in twenty-seven hundred boys who were vaccinated. Uh, had these got myocarditis and had the serious enough effects that they had to go to the hospital. And he said, that's very high. And in fact, he said, because that's only hospitalized. How about those that were never hospitalized? And he said, that's uh, when you put it on the, the scale of uh, harm to children or dangers, he said, it's a way significant higher risk than being, being hurt in a car accident or killed in a car accident. Uh, and he gave a series of comparisons just to give you an idea. Then he said that, um, he said it's like if you, the question was, will it compromise your children in the future? And he says it's like having a time bomb in your heart. You have a much higher risk of death. Um, he talked about how the athletes, many athletes are dropping, uh, sudden death, stroke, blood clots. Uh, he said the spike protein in the um, vaccine drives this. And uh, he said the Hong Kong study did the hard work and um He's, so he said he cited that as his source right now. And, and, you know, in the United States and before these vaccines were released, there weren't studies done on children like this. They, they, it was, it's amazing how careless they have been about that. So he said there were other risks, uh, not just myocarditis, but strokes, brain fog, brain damage. He mentioned a girl named Maddie. She was one of the uh, children in an original trial who developed uh, seizures and paralysis. She can no longer feed herself. She can't walk. Uh, Pfizer listed her reaction as a stomach ache. Just let that soak in. This is the trial. Little girl named Maddie. She developed seizures, paralysis. She can no longer feed herself. And Pfizer listed her reaction as a stomach ache. <clears throat> he says that one in 3,000, it looks like at this point, and this is just an estimate, could have neurologic dam damage from this vaccine. He talked about the reproductive damage in children. He said the spike protein goes right to the ovaries in girls, and we are seeing, and uh, there aren't enough studies on girls to really say what the future is going to be on this, but in adult women, we know that there are uh, changes immediately in the, uh, the uh, flow of the menstrual cycle. Uh, there are an unusually high amount of spontaneous abortions for women that are pregnant in the first and second trimester. Uh, and then there's the T-cells that are the ones that fight cancer. Uh, and their concern is, and they're, seeing, they're already seeing signs that cancer is on the, on the rise uh, from people that have been vaccinated. Okay, is that enough to concern you? It should be. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. They say actions speak louder than words. Here at the American Family Association, we take that to heart. 
AFA Action is here to inform and help you get involved in cultural and moral issues. You can also sign up for our AFA Action Alert, which will inform you about these issues every week by email. To sign up and for more information, visit us at afaaction.net. Why are you still sitting there? If you want change, it starts with you. Classic hymns to holiday jingles? Impossible to avoid the sound of sleigh bells and Bing Crosby this time of year. But how often do we stop to consider the story behind the carols we sing? I'm Charles Morris. Join me for Haven Today this week as we celebrate Christmas and a series called Carols You Should Know. Haven Today, weekday mornings at 4.30 Central on American Family Radio. Listen online at AFR.net. Faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Karl Marx, an emissary of evil, and Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, were evangelists of diametrically opposed messages. Yet they both lived in London at the same time. In fact, when asked the name of the person he most detested, Frederick Ingalls, Marx's cohort in chaos, responded unequivocally, Spurgeon. A generation later, George Bernard Shaw, a hardcore communist, seethed in hatred for William Booth and his Salvation Army of volunteers. Time and again, robust Christian witness has been the inoculate against the proliferation of Marx's poison in society. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. So right now may be the perfect time for you to rethink how you pay for health care. And here's why. Not only is it time for open enrollment for a lot of people, it's also when you can join MediShare and save even more than usual. For the typical family, switching to MediShare saves about $500 a month, which is a game changer for a lot of people. And what's more, they like it. MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate when compared to health insurance. Double. It really is remarkable. There's more than 400,000 members now who have shared more than $4 billion in medical bills. So they can handle your bills too. And here's the thing. If you joined before December 15th, They'll waive your new member fee. So that's another $170 you'll save. I'll give you the number here in a second, but call and you'll get a price within two minutes. And again, the deadline, December 15th. So call now and you'll save even more. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Keith Kroc is a largely unsung hero of the Trump presidency. Like the president, he served as the Undersecretary of State for Economic Growth, Energy, and the Environment. He didn't need the work. He earned billions of dollars as an entrepreneur before turning his considerable talents to public service. Arguably, Mr. Kroc's most important contribution in that role was countering the economic and financial vectors of the Chinese Communist Party's unrestricted warfare against the United States. Unlike so many of his peers at the pinnacle of American capitalism, his idea of a great reset is onshoring our supply chains rebuilding our industrial base and investing patriotically instead of in our enemy's capabilities to destroy us. After a brief post-government sabbatical, Keith Kroc is back in the public policy fight. Praise the Lord, as his leadership is needed now more than ever. This is Frank Gaffney. 
Christmas from American Family Radio and Sandy Rios in the Morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The King has come. He's coming. He's, uh, we're celebrating his birth this, uh, this Christmas, just in a few weeks. And it really does, uh, you know, if you don't understand, if it's just giving gifts and uh, getting together with a family, that's wonderful. Oh, my goodness. It's like they're getting married when uh, the wedding isn't really about the union of the couple for the first time and the joining of families, but it's about the dress and the venue. <laughs> you know, it's the shallow version. Uh, but we, the, he's King of kings and Lord of lords, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Uh, what you know? So just think on that. Uh, that is true, even as I tell you these terrible things, uh, because the world needed a Savior, and God provided one, and his name was Jesus. And so it's the fallen world we talk about all the time. It's our fallen lives, our own sin, our the stuff that we are caught up in individually. Those are the things that he came to set us free from, and he came to set right wrong and uh, turn turn things right to bring real justice to the earth. And so he's a god of all justice. So that's the good news. That's the good news of this Christmas season, and I don't want that to be lost in the midst of me telling you these stories. All right, but there are truth tellers in the midst of this. That's what we're called to be, and. Uh, so let's continue to talk about some truth here. The World Health Organization is reporting, are you ready for this, that there have been no deaths reported as a result of the Omicron variant to date. Now, of course, it's uh, all over the world. It started at, in, in Los Angeles. It allegedly arrived as early as November 25th, but it's in countries all over the world. But no deaths recorded as a result of the dreadful, no good, horrible Omicron viral uh, variant that they shut down airports and that these European countries uh, in Australia have been slapping people, uh, confining them, fining them, making it even worse based on Omicron. But uh, unfortunately for them, the, the World Health Organization has said that no deaths have been reported as a result of the Omicron variant. And also, in addition to that, 29 states have confirmed that they have Omicron variant cases, but most of those cases are among the vaccinated. Now, do I say that with victory? No, of course not. Of course not. But it has to be said, because um, this is an article, I believe, in USA Today, and it just the, the title caught my eye. I want to just read the title, if nothing else. The Pandemic of the Vaccinated is Here. And it reads, back in July, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky announced that COVID had become a pandemic of the unvaccinated, an unfortunate turn of phrase that was soon picked up by the president. Now the flaws in its logic are about to be exposed on what could be a terrifying scale. Unvaccinated Americans will certainly pay the steepest price in the months to come, but the risks appear to have grown for everyone. The pandemic of the vaccinated can no longer be denied. Well, here's the, I, I think as you go on to read that article, they, they're certainly not where I am on this, but uh, they are recognizing uh, that people that are vaccinated, something's not right here. Saturday Night Live did a sketch uh, with, with, a doctor, with a Dr. Fauci uh, and uh, other characters, and that parts of it were funny. The thing that struck me uh, was that they are beginning to mock 
the uncertainty, the all over the mapness of this. And so it's getting down in the DNA of people everywhere that's this something's not something's weird, you know? What what is all this about? And I, I pick up a, a phrase by Dr. Malone, who spoke yesterday, again, on the uh, the effect of these um, vaccines on children. By the way, I'm sure that you can get that at the website that I gave you earlier. But um, he used the term fact-checked by nature. These uh, prognosticators of what's going to happen are have been fact-checked by nature. I love that. I think it's very profound. Um, a Navy commander has been fired. Uh, from his uh, from his duties, he is the commander of the Winston USS Winston S. Churchill, and so uh, he was relieved of his duties for failing to abide a lawful order. What do you think that lawful order was? Uh, on December tenth, twenty twenty one, Commander Naval Surface Squadron fourteen Captain Ken Anderson relieved Commander Lucian Kins as executive officer of the USS Winston S. Churchill. Due to loss of confidence in Ken's ability to perform his duties, the Navy official told USNI that Ken's was relieved of his duties for refusing to get a COVID-19 vaccine and refusing to be tested for the disease. So, um, according to the data from the Navy, about five, almost 6,000 active-duty sailors remain unvaccinated, uh, and they have given seven medical ex- seven medical exemptions, 326 temporary medical exemptions. Uh, they have not pr- approved any religious exemptions, despite nearly 3,000 putting in requests. All right, so you can see where this is. Uh, and I, but, but, you know, they may have to be fact-checked by nature. And for those of you in the military, again, I say just hold on. Just hold on as long as you can. I can't tell you what to do about your life or your job or anything like that. But just hold on as long as you can because people are – it's working its way through the courts. We are, we are meaning people who are really concerned about this uh, vaccination and the mandates – we are winning a lot of uh, battles in court, and so just just keep that in mind. One person who did not win a battle in court, and I want to share this story with you. Actually, Bruce, my husband, brought this to my attention Saturday morning and read this whole article to me, and I'm going to read it to you, most of it. Um, this is the way it goes. David DeLuca of Sicklerville, New Jersey, will never know if the ivermectin prescribed by an out-of-state doctor for his wife would have saved her life. Colleen DeLuca, 62, died of COVID-19 on October 10th at Jefferson Washington Township Hospital in Sewell, New Jersey, before he could get a court order to administer the drug. Buffalo, New York attorney Ralph Lorigo has spent the last 11 months handling cases where the family wants to try ivermectin and must get a court order to force hospitals to allow the drug to be administered. DeLuca had Lorigo draw up papers for court. But because Lorigo doesn't practice in New Jersey, he instructed DeLuca to find a New Jersey attorney to file papers and handle the case. However, DeLuca couldn't find an attorney willing to take on the case. They kept telling me the magistrates of New Jersey will never let this go through. Now I've got to go through the next 25 years without her, grief-stricken David DeLuca, 62, told the Epoch Times. My three-year-old granddaughter kisses her photo at night. David fondly recalls the day in 10th grade American history class when the pretty new girl took a seat next to his. Colleen's family was in the military, and she'd just moved back from Germany. She was quiet, but loved to listen to him talk. By senior year, they were in item and went to senior prom together. And when he got a scholarship to Bucknell University in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, he couldn't imagine life without her. He arranged for housing and a justice of the peace 
1977, the two 18-year-old high school students' sweethearts shocked their families and eloped. Everybody said it wasn't going to work, David said, but ultimately my parents came to love her as a daughter. They went home for Thanksgiving and were loaded down with hand-me-down household items proving their family was getting used to the union. He worked two jobs. She helped him type school papers and cook dinner for David and three college buddies who would become lifelong friends. By the time he graduated, they had three children under the age of four. Altogether, they had six children. The last two were homeschooled all the way through graduation, and now there were ten grandchildren. Colleen loved giggling with her grandchildren and was big on offering hugs. Devout Catholics, they intentionally moved near a church offering Mass in Latin and were deeply involved with their faith. Colleen joined an order of the Carmelite nuns. Sorry. Colleen joined an order of the Carmelite nuns for married women. When COVID-19 appeared, they worried. Colleen bit, bit, beat cancer twice and had asthma and other health concerns. David had health issues, too. We knew we were high-risk patients, David said. Colleen sewed 500 face masks and gave them all away. They took all the precautions they could take. She stayed home most of the time. They wore masks and disinfected. But when vaccines became available, they couldn't take them because of direct ties to aborted fetal cells. In mid-September, Colleen started showing asthma symptoms. They called her pulmonologist, and she prescribed the usual asthma medicines, including her nebulizer. We weren't thinking COVID at that time. It was not unusual for Colleen to have an asthma attack. She had complex breathing issues and used a nasal pap and an oxygen concentrator when she slept. Soon she was coughing, and they started to monitor her oxygen saturation levels. David did what he could to care for her, but on September 21st, he suddenly felt like he hit a brick wall. I went to bed immediately. The next morning, he got tested and learned he had COVID, and the doctor told him certainly Colleen had it too. The general practitioner prescribed a host of medicines, including hydroxychloroquine. On September 23rd, Colleen's oxygen level dropped to 88%. I said, I have to take you to the hospital. She said, if you take me to the hospital, I'm going to die there. I said, if I don't take you, you are going to die here. She wanted to sleep at home through the night, but he checked her level again, and it had already dropped to 86%. Two weeks from COVID to take her himself, David called an ambulance. The ambulance crew had Colleen sitting up on a gurney with an oxygen mask on her mouth so he couldn't kiss her goodbye. Her eyes looked scared. Tracing the sign of the cross on her forehead with his thumb, David blessed her. They waved goodbye, and that was the last time he saw her awake. The hospital had her on a CPAP machine with full oxygen, and at home, David was also suffering from COVID. On September 28th, he got a call from a doctor at the hospital. They were going to put Colleen on a ventilator, and she wanted to talk to David. Her voice was weak and competing with the oxygen machine. I'm going on the ventilator. Bury me in in my ceremonial scapular. I love you and the kids. David started calling friends, asking them to pray for Colleen, and one told him about ivermectin. He asked his general practitioner for it, and although David feels his doctor was doing his best, the doctor said the data did not show it would help and did not prescribe it. David got a prescription for himself and Colleen through a telehealth meeting with another doctor from another state. David took his ivermectin, and in days he started to feel better. He asked the hospital to give Colleen ivermectin. They said, no, it's not part of our protocol. It doesn't work. I told the doctors, you need to dispense this medicine. and They said, no. Now he was trying to find an attorney, trying to convince the hospital to use ivermectin that he already already had, and he was trying to get permission to go into his wife's room. He says they would not let him visit her because she was, conta- because she was contagious. 
Since he already had COVID, he felt he should be able to get in. Eventually, he was able to see her through a window, but he wanted to hold her hand and let her hear his voice. Jefferson Washington Township Hospital said it does not comment on individual patients, and when asked about its ivermectin policy, had no comment. David went to church early October 10th. He got two calls from the hospital just before Mass. The first call let him know Colleen was in renal failure. He said he would go to the hospital right after church. You don't understand. Your wife is dying, David recalls the second call. He went directly to the hospital, and this time they let him in the room without a gown and mask. I could see she was going to die. I called my kids and grandkids from all over the United States on a video call. She was awake, and she was suffering. David was an Air Force pilot for 28 years and flew combat missions during which he was responsible for hundreds of lives. He was trained to make life and death decisions in seconds, but he never thought he would be in this situation. He allowed them to remove her from the ventilator. I said, Lenny, I, I can't do this to you. And she squeezed my hand. We pulled the vent, and she died within 30 seconds. I couldn't hug her because of all the stuff around her. I blessed her. His sorrow turns to anger when he thinks about the experience. He feels the hospital expected her to die as soon as she went on the ventilator. In my opinion, they gave up on her on day one. Their protocols killed her. The legal system won't do its job. People need to know ivermectin is out there. I want her story to be told because I want other people to be protected and not go through what my kids went through, losing their mother. I trusted the system to help, but they didn't care. So I say to you, this is happening all over the country still. It's happening, uh, you know because you listen to me, that it nearly happened to my husband, and I was able to get ivermectin, and the doctor agreed after much persuasion. I was blessed with that. But hospitals everywhere, uh, in fact, there's another story here. A doctor was just fired uh, in uh, by the Baptist Hospital, Baptist Memorial in, um, this is in Yazoo City, it must be, I'm not sure what state. I'll get to that in just a second. Mississippi. Uh, the doctor was fired for attempting to treat COVID-19 patients with ivermectin. He took them off. Uh, oh, it's a long, longer story than this. But he talked about these patients. He was treating right them, and they just made him stop, and they put them back on the um, remdesivir. Remdesivir causes renal failure. That's what the guy in the other story is. Wife had renal failure. Remdesivir does that. It's kidney and... Um, a failure that it causes, and also um, kidney and bladder, or whatever the other term is. And th- this is what hospitals are doing. I tell you, somebody needs to sue. Somebody needs to sue for malpractice, for murder itself, a doctor, a hospital. This is what has to happen to change this, because uh, the hospitals continue in their blind obeisance uh, to the FDA and the CDC, and doctors are suffering, and people are dying. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.